Hey, CityCast listeners. On Fridays, we like to talk about the week's news. I'm here today with producer Farrell Gibbs and CityCast contributor Olivia Flores Alvarez. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Farrell, Olivia, let's talk about the news. Olivia, what is the biggest news for you? Obviously, I think what's been on a lot of people's mind is the abortion story, the Supreme Court decision. Yep, that was mine. I think mine is a little bit different. When you look at cancer, you know who cares about cancer? People who have cancer. People who love someone who has cancer. People who have loved someone, who knows someone on down the line. But when you don't know anybody, when you don't love anybody who has cancer, you're not really interested in it, and you're not going to show up for the march against cancer. And I think a lot of people are in that space about abortion. They don't oppose it in the way that Greg Abbott and his friends do, but they don't support it in the way I think that a lot of other people do either. They're just kind of in the middle. They're not against it, but they're not going to get up and march about it either. And it's just not their issue. And I think Houston is such a diverse city with different Mm -hmm. ethnic populations, different religions, different home countries, immigrant statuses, where we're like newly arrived to, you know, 15th generation Texan kind of things. And when you're a woman who just got here from a country that still performs female circumcision, or a country that still has honor killing for rape victims, I don't know that abortion is your issue. Right. I think a lot of people don't know that people they love have had abortions. Absolutely. It's not something that people talk about, yeah. you know, especially if they think that you might disapprove. Right. I mean, even if they don't think you're against abortion, maybe they don't want It's a private issue. to talk about having had yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's right. a private issue. It's something that that you don't necessarily, you know, want to wear a t-shirt about. And you don't right. have fundraisers on abortion and and that sort of thing. Right. And so I think there's just going to be a lot of people who are surprised at the at the number of folks who sit this one out. I look at abortion yeah. as a abortion rights and the people who oppose them as a suppression of women's rights, keeping women yeah. home, keeping women out of the workplace, keeping women tied to to childcare, that sort of thing. And if you're not in those childbearing years, if you don't have kids, if you're not going to have an abortion, if you're over, you know, 40, chances are you're not going to get pregnant. So there are a lot of different things that impact how you're going to react to this. And it's those personal stories. When one woman says to another, I had an abortion, this is what I went through, that make those connections that get people activated. But you're much more likely to tell people, I have cancer, I had cancer, than you are going to be able to say, I had an abortion. Yeah. I mean, the thing that really scares me is how fast I think women are going to be losing Mm -hmm. rights in Texas. So whenever the Supreme Court makes that final decision on Roe v. Wade, if it overturns it, Texas has a trigger law that means that 30 days after that decision comes down, abortion is illegal in Texas in almost all cases. I mean, basically, only if the mother's life is in danger. And that means no abortion for incest, no abortion for rape, things that 
the vast majority of Texans would think, yeah, that ought to be legal. And that's just the beginning. I mean, what on earth is going to happen in the next legislative session? Do we start moving on sort of medical abortions? Do we begin looking at things like the birth control pill, which often works by stopping fertilized eggs from implanting in a uterus? I mean, I'm worried about where this goes. So I'm trying to look at what, how is this going to impact the midterms? How is this going to impact the next round of of elections? You know, uh, mayor's race doesn't have very much to do with abortion, maybe. You can look at that and say that's not an issue that he really, he or she is going to really control. But I think people are still going to use it as a litmus test to, is this a viable politician? Because your mayor may become your governor, who may become your senator, who may become your president. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that team politics idea. You're either on my team or you're off my team. This is the single thing that matters. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, okay. Farrell, what do you think was the biggest news in Houston this week? Well, we recently did an episode on the Ike Dyke with Evan Mintz, Mm -hmm. uh, the barrier that could end up being the biggest artificial barrier system against storms on the planet. Well, a a bill just advanced in the Senate this past Wednesday. It's some great news if you're a proponent Uh of the Ike Dyke. It was approved by the Senate committee. And uh, this is what Emily Foxhall from the Houston Chronicle wrote, is that the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee voted unanimously to advance the Water Resources Development Act of 2022, and it's a bill that could face what she thinks is minimal opposition going forward. Okay, so it might get to the Senate. It will get to the Senate floor. It will get might get approved by the Senate, and then it goes to the House, where it has to like get money, and then the President. I'm trying to remember the Schoolhouse (laughs) Rock. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only. How does that work? I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's... So so it's not a done deal by a long shot. And it's got to get the money approved, right? Right. That is correct. But, you know, she does say that it's picking up steam. And also that the legislation will give the blessing for the largest engineering recommendation of its kind that the the core has ever proposed. Wow. That's like biggest money. I mean, it's also Jimongous in size. Yes. I mean, this thing would completely redesign the Galveston coast to keep a storm surge from wiping out Galveston and the Houston ship channel. Yes. I was looking up this morning, the projections for the storm season this year. There was a study Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago by Colorado State, and it says that we're going to be in for, they believe, 19 named storms this year, which is five above the yearly average. And that study was looking back 30 years. Yeah. I mean, there's no way we're going to have that thing ready for this year. We have got to like be worried about global warming and everything coming, because this is going to take a decade at least. All right, let's talk about underplayed stories. Farrell, you got one? What is on your mind? Yeah, it was something you drew my attention to earlier this week. John Novolomax, the writer, covered in his Houston newsletter the soaring expense of homes in Houston. Oh, yeah. Ruckus is a great newsletter. Yeah, Ruckus. That's right. 66% of Houstonians cannot afford a house in Houston proper, he said. The HAR, the Houston Association of Realtors, came out with a report that said that people who do want to buy a home now need a quarter more income than they did 
from just one year ago last year. The median price of a home listed at $330,000. So our ability to purchase such a home is down 10% since a year ago. I mean, that just seems incredible. Um, I mean, I know that Houston is still way more affordable than other big cities, but the idea that 50% of Houston households can't afford to buy in. Dina, you know, was talking to us about Dina, our lead producer, our lead producer yeah. Dina, trying to buy a house. And it seems like it's a, a seller's market, you know, and so inventory is small. Yeah. And with the mortgage rates going up, that adds hundreds of dollars to your monthly payment. I am no expert at this, but I have bought two houses in my life. But mm-hmm. I, it's a market like I've never seen because you would think that with everything that's happened, supply chain issues, all of these things, that there would be inventory and there would be affordable housing right now, but it's it's not, or yeah. it doesn't seem to be. Yeah, that was also, I just don't have anything of my own this week. That was also going to be my underplayed story. <laughs> um, Lomax was talking about, his theory is that it's all these out-of-town investors who are snapping up houses on the Houston market. You know, I have a house in Garden Oaks, and the only reason we mm-hmm. bought this house was because we bought it from my father-in-law. And uh, we've sat for the last, you know, 15 years and watched the houses around us be knocked down and built into two-story houses. Thankfully, they have not quite been the McMansions that other neighborhoods have seen, but they've still been, you know, two-story houses as opposed to the one-story kind of bungalows. And every time somebody comes in, buys a house and remodels instead of knocking down. I like want to go over and give them cookies or something and just say, you know, <laughs> thank you for retaining the neighborhood's, uh, you know, character and not destroying it. And, and thank you for, or thank you at least for noticing where you live before you change your house. But yeah, so I'm just thrilled every time somebody in Garden Oaks doesn't knock it down or doesn't build a two-story monstrosity. Although I have to admit, if I could, I too would build a two-story house <laughs> on my property. <laughs> so I understand the urge. Right. But I mean, we're getting this weird bifurcated thing where the people who have houses and who are building houses are building enormous expensive ones. I mean, especially since COVID, I think people want everything inside their house. And then there are tons of people who just can't own a place. And so they're not going to build that equity and their long-term finances are going to suffer for that. I have that quote in front of me that you just alluded to from John Lomax. And I thought it was interesting. This, This is the whole quote. He goes, I've said it before. I will say it again. It's institutional investors from out of town, out of state, and across the pond that have computers scouring the internet for new listings and snapping them up with cash bids within seconds of their hitting the market, driving up prices, and continuing the rapid transfer of wealth from the aspiring middle class to the wealthy with even more alarming speed. This class of investors is the engorged tick that gave the American dream a withering case of Lyme disease. Oh, man. <laughs> I think he's kind of right. I don't think that's just straight up xenophobia. No, it's not. This is that big money gazillionaire thing that is making it harder and harder for middle class families to connect to the places where they live. All right, Olivia, what do you think was overlooked this week? What should have gotten more attention? Megan the Stallion. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. She got her degree 
from Texas Southern University, which is where I went to school. Mm -hmm. It's a historically black college, obviously. She got it in health administration this last December. She graduated. Yeah. And that was a big deal. They did a lot of promotion around it. And apparently... Megan Thee Stallion did a lot of yes, promotion yes. around it. She was tweeting out those pictures. I love yeah, that. So yeah. So there's apparently a, a big uptick in uh, enrollment at TSU because of this. And they had a big uh, downtick because of the pandemic, like all schools did. Oh. They've already met their enrollment goal for the year, and they haven't finished, they haven't come to the end of their enrollment session. Now, TSU is an open enrollment school. So if you graduated high school, you can get into TSU. And it's always been that people have always said, you know, anybody can get into Texas Southern. Getting out of Texas Southern is a different thing. They've had very, very low graduation rates for a variety of reasons. But someone like Megan coming in, graduating, really did a lot of good for the school. People, I think, are going to see it's cool to go to Texas Southern, and, and they're going to be able to, to, to get in because of the, the money is there. And also, she got the key to the city the other day because she oh, yeah. gave out three different $5,000 grants to various uh, uh-huh. families in Houston. So she's doing a lot of good. She does a lot of flamboyant sexy, fun, you know, jiggly, jiggly stuff. But she also does yeah. a lot of good. I am so proud of her. Yeah. And I love this idea of like the hot girl semester. <laughs> you know, people are just pouring into TSU <laughs> because education is sexy now. And I'm glad that it had a positive impact on the school. Right. She makes us proud. <sighs> All right. Farrell, do you have some good news? What has made you happy this week? Well, my moment of joy came from Olivia, actually. Oh. You know, her Thursday section in the newsletter of the Fire Up the Calendar app. I had zero idea that Jeff Goldblum could actually play the piano. And uh, <laughs> I read that blurb, and then I went on a huge internet dive. And according to, to the write-up in the newsletter, he performed this past Wednesday at the Hobby Center. Right. And... uh uh, he was when I saw the picture of them, him that you posted in the newsletter, black tux, uh, posing above a piano. I think y'all wrote something like he could really tickle the ivories. I was like, yeah, he looks like a guy that could actually play jazz piano. So I went and <laughs> found him on YouTube. He sounded it looks like a really happy show. Yeah. So um, it was great to learn that he actually does what he looks like he ought to be able to do very well. <laughs> He's kind of a loner rat packer kind of thing, almost. Yeah. But, you know, that show is really fun because he takes questions from the audience. He does these, you know, bits of stories of how he, you know, was in different movies and different personalities that he's known. He does a lot of talking and a lot of, you know, reminiscing. But he plays. He's a monster. I mean, he actually can play. And uh, jazz gets so underappreciated. By the mainstream, I think that when you actually hear it, you think, yeah, that's kind of good. You know, I got to <laughs> listen to some more of this. And uh, yeah, I was really happy to see he was coming to yeah. SPA, which is now, by, yes, Performing Arts Houston. Yes. All right, Olivia, what's making you uh, happy? Apollo Chamber Players. It's one of the yeah? many, many chamber organizations that we have here in Houston, one of the many classical music groups that we have and Apollo Chamber Players just finished uh, 20 years of commissions. Wow. So A, that they've been around for 20 years. Not just performances. No, no, no. 20 years of commissions. Commissioning new works. 20 years of commissions. That they've been around for 20 years is a big, big deal. That they have finished 
and commissioned 20 different pieces for their 20 by 20, 22. It's just remarkable. They found the money. It was over a quarter million dollars that they found that they raised in order to get folks to write pieces for them. And they went to people like a Middle Eastern rice professor. They went to Mm -hmm. a Native American composer. They they got women composers. They got all sorts of people. So not like the old white guy sort of chamber music. Yeah, not the old white guys and not even the young white guys. They went to to, yeah. to lots of, of different people and um, and paid good, you know, scale money for commissions that they had then premiered. And I'm just so happy that they not only perform, but that they create new music and that they found all their own money to do that. And the four uh, members of the group are the original four or the four that I've known for the last 18 yeah. years. And that they've been able to stay together for that long, I think, speaks to the shared vision, the shared purpose, and the shared, you know, just passion for the music. And, you know, they've all had babies in the meantime. They've all had, two of them got married together and had a baby, you know, all sorts of things. They've been through all sorts of changes and they've stayed together and... It's just been wonderful. They've they've been at Carnegie Hall. They've been, you know, on tours and yeah. stuff, and they just have done right. lots and lots of good music. And I'm really proud of a Houston-based group creating that much new classical music. I'm just so proud of them. That's awesome. That is great. The thing that made me happy this week is another podcast. Um, Brene Brown, you know, who is like not just Houston famous, she is famous, famous for all the great work that she has done on, you know, shame and emotions and personal development, has a couple of podcasts on Spotify. I know it's Spotify. I want to wean myself off of it, but that's where Brene Brown is. (laughs) Um, And this week on Dare to Lead, her business podcast, she had Cam Franklin of The Suffers as her guest. Oh, cool. And Cam Franklin is talking about leading a creative team. And it's it's a great interview. You get to hear a lot of like backstory on Cam Franklin, who at one point was an energy trader. Stuff I did not know. <laughs> um, but also she talks about all the like fights that they have inside the suffers and how important it is for her you know, to be with this great songwriting team. You know, she doesn't want to just be playing by herself. She needs that. They have a new album coming too, right? Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And it's really fun to hear her. It's fun to hear her talking about leading a team, being taken seriously, not just as a performer. And it's also just fun to hear Brene Brown fangirling all over the place. (laughs) Brene Brown loves the suffers, you know. Um, Take Me to the Good Times is the theme song for this show, Dare to Lead. And so I just highly recommend that episode. I will check that out. All right, y'all. Well, this has been fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. I just got to get out most days, you see. I like walking around. It's good for me. Could you tell me where we could go? Take me to the good. That is it for today here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kesba. Our producer is Farrell Gibbs. And our newsletter writers are me, Lisa Gray, and now 
Brooke Lewis. We are very excited to have Brooke. This week, we had help from roving producer Lizzie Goldsmith. Our theme music is by Farrell Gibbs and his band All the Kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more news. Bye. Yeah, let me try that. It's really hard. (laughs) Okay.